What are you looking at? Oh, just the silent of a majesty of a winter's morn, the clean, cool chill of a holiday air, and an asshole in his bathrobe emptying a chemical toilet into my sewer. Welcome to the junk drawer. Is it on the Google Doc? We're not done with this is, samurai. This is cocktail. This is a samurai pod now. This is samurai pod. Can you put your kimono you away? On set, when they had all the text, they were like, literally had to tell NATO, by the way, this is for a movie. Which also seems NATO like the easiest cover-up to start a war. Right? <laughs> I'm not an expert, but I do know plants pretty well, but I don't think if you dropped me, I would be like, that's a cocaine plant. Like, what is he, a botanist on the side? Because <laughs> we're the three best friends that anybody could have. We're the three best friends that anyone could have. It's finally time to open the junk drawer. Well, welcome to another holiday episode of the Junk Drawer Podcast. We are so thrilled to have you with us whenever you are listening. Uh, I'll be hosting tonight. My name is Cole Brown. I'll be joined by two of my co-hosts named as... Christmas time is here! I'm Mario. Mariko? You hear those Christmas angels? <laughs> those are some beautiful angels. Uh, my name is Bryce Howell, and there are no angels around me. Owl. Bryce Howell. Bryce Owl. Owl, as the Italians say. Owl. But uh, yeah, hopefully, if you are just a diehard movie watcher, you perhaps picked up on that very low key quote from the opener. Uh, but tonight we're talking about, or today we're talking about National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation from 1989. Um, and a quick little just background here for you viewers, as perhaps as well as for my co-hosts. Uh, it was directed by a guy named Jeremiah S. Chechik. Oh, S. Chechik. Yeah, S. Chechik. Great family um, friend of someone else. But some of the research I did this particular time, because this is a movie I kind of grew up with, and so I never really had to learn it in such a way. But... National Lampoon was a humorous magazine that ran from the 70s to the late 90s. Uh, it was a spinoff from this magazine called the Harvard Lampoon, uh, which was like kind of an undergraduate humor magazine. Oh, um, but they were know known at the time for consistently pushing the envelope past what was like appropriate or acceptable. Uh, and so you see, I think, a lot of that in movies like this. And so the National Lampoon magazine did a spinoff into a bunch of other just like short stories and books and films. And so there's a whole series of National Lampoon's colon blank. This is colon Christmas Vacation. A lot of people don't know that Christmas Vacation is actually the third in a trilogy of National Lampoon Vacation movies. Oh, I thought it was Correct. the second. No, it's National oh. Lampoon Vacation and then European Vacation and then ah. Christmas Vacation is the third one. Is Van Wilder and then there's is even, National Lampoon? It is also National Lampoon, but it's not associated with the Vacation series. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, but there's also even Vegas Vacation, which comes right. after, after With Chevy? With Chevy. Um, ah. So Chevy is a major driving force of the Vacation series of National Lampoons. And they all follow the Griswolds. Yes. The, okay. the perfect American family, if you will. Ah, yes. <laughs> um, and so, kind of skipping now past that brief summary, we always kind of begin our episodes with talking about just our personal reflections, our personal ratings from watching this. Um, and so... For this particular time, I'll go first, even as the host, just to kind of give some context. So, this is a movie where sounds like me. I um, <laughs> I grew up, not grew up, but maybe in more slightly more mature years, call it twelve years old and on. We would watch this every year, the day after Thanksgiving. We would put it on, and it wasn't that necessarily we'd have the tree yet, but this would be like the first kind of Christmas movie we watched year after year after year. 
Uh, and so there's a point of nostalgia for me when I look back on this movie that I think in similar movies we've reviewed in the past that I kind of will always have a certain numerical threshold that can't quite be messed with yeah. based right. off of like all of the years of experience. Especially it's kind of high floor. It's almost it's like its own category. Christmas movies are almost in their own category. To That's some true. degree. But that is a category I want to talk about later. Um, but my personal rating is an 84 for this movie as wow. a Christmas okay. movie. Uh, but Mario, what did you think? So I didn't grow up watching this and I wish I had because it feels like the perfect nostalgic Christmas movie, especially growing up. I mean, I was born in 91, so right around when the movie came out. I saw it for the first time. Uh, my law school roommate, my final year of law school, told me how much he loved it. It was his favorite Christmas movie, and I, I knew it was great, but I had never taken the time to go see it. So I watched it in 2016, I believe. Um, and I loved it. I like instantly loved it. It's so funny. The humor is like, for the time, you can tell it was going too far, trying to go a little too far. But now, looking back at it, it's like, this isn't very bad at all. Right. Um, to me, though, watching it again for the podcast, I think it starts much stronger than it finishes. I think it gets a little off the rails for me at the end where it's like, okay, now just really goofy stuff is happening because it's like, what else can go wrong? Um, so for me, I, I put it right at a 68%. Okay. I actually had the opposite experience of both of you watching this movie for the How podcast. How dare you? Which is crazy because I, I, unlike Mario, I felt like the end is stronger, but it's because I like when the movie finally just completely goes off the rails. That's when it's the funniest to me. And also, unlike Cole, uh, Cole said he's watched this movie every year, the day after uh, Thanksgiving. I have probably seen this movie 10 to 15 times, but this might have been the very first time I've ever sat down and watched the whole thing from beginning to end. Because every other experience I have watching this movie is catching it on AMC or some other channel. Um, and you catch it at the beginning or at the middle and, and you have to like leave halfway through or whatever. Um, and so this was my first time sitting down watching it all the way through. And so I kind of found that like it's the perfect movie to have on with a group of people to watch with a group of people at Christmas time. Because like a lot of good Christmas movies kind of have this characteristic where people are hanging out and then like the scene comes on that you like and everybody focuses in. And then there's some downtime and you kind of talk or whatever. Um, and so for that reason, I actually gave it the lowest of all of us. I only gave it a 63 just because me sitting by myself watching this movie all the way through, you kind of feel the lulls that happen in between the big scenes that get the laughs. I want to say the reason I like the beginning better is I like how Clark, Chevy Chase's character, has to be the father, family man trying to have this traditional Christmas and this crazy stuff's happening all around him and it's funny to watch him try to hold in like this inner turmoil before he he's like trying not to snap yeah and then when the snap happens everything just goes in disarray so i kind of like his contempt and contemptness with all of it in the beginning yeah i, I will say also uh, i mentioned on the pod when we talked about along came polly that i typically don't like the along came polly or meet the parents kind of humor of like oh here's this guy and a bunch of bad stuff happens to him and that's funny but <laughs> i think it really works in this movie and it's partially because of Chevy Chase's reputation, which we'll get into as well. But Clark also is a douche in this movie. And you so, think? like, yeah, he's uh, not very likable. Uh, to I totally me. disagree. And so, when bad stuff happens to him, I'm like, yes, this is funny well, because he sucks. I, Cole, I think he's a good father. Like, I think he's trying to hold it together for the family. He's trying to hold it together, but there's lots of things he does when, like, so for example, 
So this might be borrowing from some later movies or even this one specifically, but I'll borrow from later movies first. So in Vegas Vacation, there's this very infamous scene in that movie where he's on the drive. They do a lot of these movies where they have the actual travel portion. And in that movie, there's a time where he's like driving side by side with a very attractive woman next to the car next to him. (laughs) And he literally gets it to the point where the woman like shows him her boobs while her while his wife is asleep in the front seat. Oh my God. So he's not like a great family okay, man. Okay. And I think in this movie, his son walks up while he's hitting on a jewelry salesman and his son's like, What is going on? And no, he's a lingerie salesman. Yeah, she's a lingerie salesman. Oh, lingerie says, salesman. Yeah. yeah, with these new panties, like it's so high that you don't show. It doesn't he's show the line. He's literally like touching her butt and his son what walks up. What kind of salesperson shows them their thoughts? So I think like the, the whole kind of, again, if we're basing this from the beginning, that National Lampoon's is this kind of satirical, humorous, pushing the envelope type scenario in magazine or whatever from history, that when you have these moments, like there's a a time where Clark is talking with one of his coworkers. He talks about putting in the pool and the guy, guy calls Clark. He goes, you really are the last family man, huh? Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like this actual hyperbole or antithesis they're putting up specifically uh. because yes, he's quote, the last family man is putting in a pool, but then a scene later he yeah. is he's broken, uh, you know, a lingerie salesman. Right. He sees himself as a good father, but he's not. Or he's right. trying to be his, his own father. Right. right. He's he's making poor decisions left and right. Um, So, kind of now sharing our own scores, we always revert to the Metacritic score. Um, And just as a holiday refresher, Bryce, what does the Metacritic represent? Um, Do it with an elf accent. What is an elf accent? Kind of like this, Santa. No, I'm not doing that. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Metacritic is a rating system that we like for how we evaluate movies because basically... It takes credit scores and converts them on a scale from 0 to 100, 0 being the worst, 100 being the best. So if a movie got a 50, that would represent a movie that was perfectly 100% average. Anything above 50 is considered above average. Anything below 50 would be considered below average. And so, uh, Mario, if you would, a little drum roll for me. You want sleigh bells or drum roll? I want Clark Griswold drum roll. How do they do the drum roll? Oh, Clark Griswold? Yeah. Uh, and so the Metacritic for this movie is 49. Oh my gosh, that uh, is It low. is one point below average. Which, yeah, exactly. As Bryce just said, it represents I, that it is a slightly below average movie. You know what that represents for me? I know. Another trophy in the trophy cabinet, can baby. I, can <laughs> I say, I have two, I think. Okay. Two what? Two closest to the pin awards, and I'm notoriously known for being the guy who thinks he knows the most about movies, critic-wise. Mm. Somebody. I will say this. Whenever I pick a movie, I rent most of my movies on the Amazon Prime because not all of them are on Netflix. The IMDb score comes up. So I always try to have my score. I always try to to select, you know, watch beforehand. I think the IMDb for this is like a 73 or 76. So I knew I was lower than that. But I'm shocked by how low the Metacritic is. Yeah, I mean, just for grins, the IMDb is 7.6 out of 10. Yeah. Uh, I think that's very accurate. And... Yes, it's, it's hard for me because so, like, for example, it's this weird place where I gave this movie an 84 and I think I gave Children of Men an 80, <laughs> but I think Children of Men is a better movie. Right. But maybe I'm maybe categorizing National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation as an 84 in the Christmas category of movies. Well, that and it goes back to the thing I critiqued you guys on for, the enjoyment factor. I would much rather watch this movie a hundred times over before I watch Children of Men a second time. Oh, 
Even I, I mean, I disagree with that personally, but oh, really? I think that we talk about this on the pod all the time, like you mentioned, and enjoyment of the movie is a factor. Movies are entertainment. If it's a quote unquote bad movie that you like watching, then it's not really a bad movie. And I think, in, you know, with movies that are nostalgic, like a lot of Christmas movies, like <clears throat> their plots are simple and stupid and straightforward, but they're fun to watch. So that makes them good movies. I just want to know if they're, if they can separate themselves enough from critiquing a Christmas movie and identify it as a Christmas movie. Yeah. I mean, we don't know. Yeah. I mean, with me watching it this time, this was probably the first time I've watched it now that we've been doing our little podcast. It's not little. Sorry. I meant majorly large, huge. Yeah. Uh, huge is the biggest podcast. A magnum podcast. Gross. Um, <laughs> magnum sized. But it's probably the first time I ever watched the movie and I've tried to approach it critically. Right. Um, and so that was a different experience because... Did you put glasses on and have a pipe? Exactly. Yeah. And I oh, just kind of... Sure. I, I stood at a distance and squinted my eyes and I just kept going, Oh, You said stuff like, this is austere. And I kept saying, I don't know about that one. <laughs> um... <laughs> But no, there was an extent to which there was things that maybe before just were just brushed over by nostalgia that I was like, okay, that could have been done better. Mm -hmm. um, so now that we kind of get into that, hearing the Metacritic, hearing our own scores, are we still sure of the value we equated for this movie? I, I almost thought I was a little low. I think nostalgia is the key factor when watching a Christmas movie, a classic Christmas movie. I think this year, I don't think, in 1999, two Christmas movies came out and this was one of them. Um, I don't know what the other one was, um, but it's almost like set in time as that late 80s Christmas movie, and like you said, you watched it every Thanksgiving, so I, to sit back and say, oh, this movie's a 49%, I don't think it's very good, it's like, come on, it exists for one purpose, you watch it during that time of year to get together with your family, have a laugh, and at the same time, enjoy the season, it kind of brings a different perspective on Christmas movies, it's not like kitschy good feeling at all. It's like, oh my god, I thank god that this is in our Christmas. Um, so, I, I'm, I'm content with my score. I think the Metacritic score is ghastly low. Yeah, I mean, I think the Metacritic score could be a few points higher, but <clears throat> coming from me, someone who, like I said, maybe just for the very first time sat down and watched it beginning to end by myself this time, like, there are moments when you're watching it like that that you feel the lulls and you feel like the gaps between the funny scenes. Um, that makes it so that it isn't a great movie. Like, I'm not even sure this is one of my top five favorite Christmas movies at this point. Yeah, I, don't, I kind um, of agree with you. I don't know if it's... And so I think, you know, I said a couple points higher. Maybe a 55 would be more representative. But 50, 50, a couple points higher than the Metacritic score. You're just trying to get closer, even closer <laughs> to the pin, you jackass. <laughs> no, but like I think would be maybe more <laughs> accurate. Um, so I do stand by my score. Um but uh, yeah, I don't. I, I might be the one that's consistently lower on Christmas Vacation than the rest of us today. But it's it's okay. It's funny for what it is. But it's funnier to watch clips of the specific scenes than it is to watch the whole movie beginning to end. A lot of times, I will say this, and I don't mean to slander my brother because he's an avid listener. But he didn't enjoy it too much. He saw it later in life as well. Um, and I think it's. Mainly because from certain certain people, and I think he's one of them, you want to get a certain enjoyment out of Christmas movies, like a certain feeling. Yeah. And this movie doesn't give you that feeling at all. <clears throat> For me, it's so high because I, I think Chevy Chase's performance just, I love watching it. I mean, he is the absolute breadwinner of the franchise for the Vacation series. Yeah. Like, right. Everything is built around his antics, his humor. I love I his mean, chemistry with the song, though, too. Yeah. 
He, um, I mean, just a quick, like, immediate internet dive uh, on the other Vegas vacation, or the other, sorry, vacation movies for National Lampoons. Here's their rankings. Okay. It's funny to me because the lowest ranked vacation movie in the National Lampoons series is my favorite one. It's Vegas Vacation. Its Metacritic score is a 20. Wow. Whoa. When did that one come out? It came out in 97. Way later. And it's the one I like, I love the most because for whatever reason, I love it the most. But then. Maybe you shouldn't be on this podcast. I don't. Maybe I've lost my that, credentials. That and Daredevil are your two favorite movies. <laughs> which I must say for my birthday, which is today. Bryce bought me a copy of Daredevil. That's true. So, I so have, he can always, whenever he needs to relive. What the fuck am I going to do with that? That cinematic masterpiece. We can bring it out whenever he needs Cole, to. Cole, can I re-gift it to you? You cannot. Oh, damn it. Because I gave it an 80, and I'll never see it again. <laughs> an 80? Um, but then the next up from that is their European vacation at a 47 Metacritic score. Uh, then today's one we're talking about, Christmas Vacation, at a 49, as we just shared. Uh, and then their highest one is the original Vacation at a 55. So none of these are rated really highly in the terms of the Metacritic score. Where does the spinoff come on? Come, uh, Where is that ranked? The remake that they did? with his son. Oh, I've never seen that one. Yeah, I didn't know that it existed. It stars yeah. Ed Helms. He plays Russ. He oh my gosh. his family. Yeah, 2015. They were going to do um, Chevy Chase, actually, and is it Beverly D'Angelo? Or... Yes. Yeah, they wanted to do another vacation movie with themselves. And the studio was on board. They had some scripts. But then the studio was like, no, let's do this idea where the grandkids have it now. Like, yeah. yeah. So that came out in 2015. And it has a 34 on Metacritic. Oh, yeah. It was not well received either. Um, but yeah, no, that was Ed Helms. And as you just said, Christina Applegate, I think. Oh, wow. Okay. Big cast. Uh, but so, sorry. Getting back to Chris's vacation. And now are we sure? I think, again, if I, as I was approaching this one for the first time this time, critically... I think the thing that sticks out to me the most is there's, there's just a handful of scenes where the dialogue of what's taking place is of such importance that you want to hear it, right? You want to hear the commentary. You want to hear the jokes that are being said. They don't really care if it actually matches up with what's being said by the actors. Like I can tell at times it's voice dub. It's, mm-hmm. the, it's Chevy Chase later in a sound room saying his lines and Chevy Chase acting in the scene. And so, for example, really? specifically, when he's putting up the Christmas lights with Rusty and they're in the garage, he's saying a bunch of stuff where he's not even facing the screen in a way. Right. But you hear his audio just as well. But anytime you can see his mouth, he's not moving to what he's saying in, <laughs> in reality. And so I don't know if that's like an issue of like the time period or if now I'm seeing that again with critical eyes. I'm going, okay, y'all could have like taken an extra minute there and brought in a couple boom mics and actually mic'd him for that scene. <laughs> and it would have like played off a little better. Um, but something that I think now sticks out to me from y'all's comments, especially Bryce's, is this movie does play off kind of similar to how we described Step Brothers, where it feels at times like it's a series of shorts. Oh, I totally agree with you. Like you could almost enter this movie at any moment and watch that scene and then leave after that scene and feel like, okay, I kind of... I got the gist of the movie, or I got to see kind of one of the sketches from this movie. And I don't know if I want to go there yet, but do y'all know of like a comedy in your brain that's like it's a linear comedy that you think is really well done? Or do you feel like sketch-based comedy movies are kind of the only version uh, that exists? No. Well, I, I won't reveal my scenes, but my two scenes 
are exactly what you described. They're literally two SNL skits. You can take them out. They don't even like you can't even watch those scenes and get a feel for what the movie's gonna be about. But to go back to your question, yes, I think Wedding Crashers is a perfect linear comedy. That's true. Yeah, I, I think there's a couple scenes you could show someone. Like it's just like you can watch that and be content, but at the same time, it's such a good character built or not character story. Like the story arc is so good that from beginning to end, it's just a well constructed comedy. Yeah, a lot of the humor in Wedding Crashers doesn't come from bits, but it comes from the plot and what's happening. Uh, another movie that does that really well is Forgetting Sarah Marshall. Yes, um, oh, continues to build on itself instead of just setting up weird bits. Like a lot of these kind of sketch comedy styles do. I love you, man, as well. Yeah. Which is cool because, I mean, I wasn't saying that, like, I didn't believe that existed now. But I think, like, if I'm just speaking personally, where maybe my comedy tastes have changed, I appreciate a linear comedy more than I do a sketch-based comedy. But... Because there's more, there's more, I don't know, there's just more impact for the joke if it's been playing off the plot point from the beginning than if it's just these three minutes of screen. Right. It's tougher to write the linear comedy. And I don't really think they exist anymore. Step Brothers, I made a comment on our Hangover podcast that The Hangover was our last great comedy of that like comedy decade. And I think that's a good linear comedy. Hmm. Um, but Step Brothers is like a good example of like the sketch ones. Since Step Brothers, what comedy has come out that hasn't been that style? That hasn't been sketch Like, style. that hasn't been, yeah, like, just well, all I, funny scenes. I think a lot of the comedies have gone gotten away from that because that style of comedy is not as well received now in general. Like, people want a story, kind of like you are yeah. saying. Like Cole said, that you want a comedy that also kind of sticks with you and makes you feel something. So there's been co- comedies that have come out and done really well, but they're also comedy and their comedy and something else yeah. the comedy and is, is definitely the category i see happening a yeah. lot more often especially the that. action comedy and it's action not that audiences want that it's that the box office can handle those you or, can get a lot more out of it but even like indie comedies have like a lot more um comedy and so like a one that comes to mind is the big sick which oh, is a very funny I'm movie just gonna say that. but also very intense and dramatic yeah. movie at times as well true true mm. I appreciate that. Just out of nowhere, sidebar. We're uh, we're so good at sidebars now. We are just a we're we're professionals, man. We ought to be called a speakeasy because we are so good at the bar. Don't talk. I didn't. I didn't like that joke. Actually, I thought that was clever. I thought it was pretty clever, and I bet our audience is laughing in their cars. Car, (laughs) car. Sorry, you should not be driving multiple cars. No, he means we have one listener. (laughs) Exactly. Sorry. Yeah. 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 Um, Who happens to be LeBron James? But one thing that I love about Chevy is he's always quick to sing the song. So, tis the season to be jolly. Uh, what is your favorite? It doesn't have to be this movie. What is your favorite movie to watch this time of year? So, I will say, I'm not going to say my very favorite Christmas movie because that's going to be next week's episode. Oh! So, oh spice hold, hold, nifty. It, hold in. What a nifty gift. Consider yourself tintillated. I am, my tintles are elated. But I will share that I have a a similar Christmas tradition to Cole watching Christmas Vacation. So this movie is maybe my second or third favorite Christmas movie, um, and that's Elf. Because every year when we get the Christmas decorations out, start decorating the tree, Elf is what we're watching. We'll have some hot chocolate going depending on the weather. Aww. So did you do it this year in the 80 degrees and you got your Christmas tree? Um, yeah, we did do it this year. We actually did it just the other day. And so uh, I love Elf in general. It's a very good well-made, funny Christmas movie. 
um, and it has a lot of a lot of nostalgic value as well. So that's my answer. So Elf is a fucking masterpiece. Um, I think it's a perfect Christmas movie. Everything I want in a Christmas movie is Elf. Mm-hmm. However, because this my favorite movie existed before Elf, it's still my favorite, and that is the Santa Claus, starring Tim Allen. I say Elf is maybe better because it doesn't have any those over-the-top, kitschy, cutesy, childish moments. Like, it always keeps it funny enough where the adults can be engaged. Whereas, well, the singing at the end's a little bit campy. Yeah, 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 you're right. Yeah, campy's the word I was looking for. Santa Claus has a lot of the campy stuff, which, because it's Christmas, you can easily get past. But Tim Allen's performance in that movie is one of my favorite performances in any movie ever. When he wow. Plays, <laughs> Holy <laughs> cow. Hot take. He, I mean, from a comedic standpoint, yeah, I cry laughing. When he's just a dick to his son, he's trying to be all cutesy with the Santa thing at first, and he's like, "Shut the fuck up, Charlie!" <laughs> Doesn't say fuck. I don't think that's but the line. I love that movie, and uh, I quote it very often. There was a friend of mine in high school, and constantly in the, in the lunchroom, I go, "What's for dessert?" And he'd say, "At least I know. At least we know they have hot apple pie." They did. Mm-hmm. Like, we always... Whenever we go to a Denny's, everyone loves Denny's. It's an American institution. Like, it's just... I love it. I can't wait to watch it this season. I'm a little upset I chose to do Benny Hanna Christmas over Santa Claus, but it was a it was an executive decision that I made myself. Maybe next year. So, yes, yeah, Santa Claus to on the first one. Yeah, beautiful. I mean, obviously, Christmas Vacation is my answer. My joke answer is Snow Day. Um, the Nickelodeon movie? Yeah. Josh Peck? Also starring Chevy Chase. Get out. He's the dad? Yeah, he's in the movie. Oh, my God. Um, do you have a second favorite? It's not Snow Day. No, Saturday's not my real favorite, second favorite. So I'm big on, what is the one, this is going to make it seem like I don't actually like this one, <laughs> but what is the one that actually, I think it's Rudolph, the claymation version. Yeah, Rudolph the Red Nose Ring. Okay, yeah. So with the Islands of the Misfit Toys, that movie is That's another. like a second We're on one. the Island of Misfit Toys. That's the first one. Is it the first one? Yeah, okay. Great pick. Those are great movies. I love the claymation. But that's another it's one that's like things. way major on the nostalgia, not so much like the actual story. You're right. Hmm. I will say Elf has the best soundtrack for a Christmas movie. Elf is great. Yeah. We all love Elf. You know what? Let's do Elf. We all love Will Ferrell. Elf or Elf? Francisco. Um, oh, but no, Tyrion, so, little Tyrion Lannister. Early debut yeah, there. Yeah, early oh, Tyrion Lannister. Call me. Hey, that's not this podcast. We're talking about Christmas Vacation. Sorry. Um, He's an angry elf. <laughs> <laughs> well done. Um, but if you were to convince somebody to watch National Lampoon's mm. A Christmas Vacation from 1989, what would be the scene that you would... Introduce them to to say, hey, this is the movie you should watch. Here's why. Do you mind if I start, Bryce? Go for it. Um, so this scene, again, doesn't encompass what the movie's about. But if you showed me this scene, someone who had never seen it, I'd be instantly hooked. It is when they, when, um, oh, what's his name? Clark is in the mall. And he co- <laughs> goes to this, like, it's like, it's like a perfume stand, but they sell lingerie at the stand. And it's this gorgeous woman. And her name is Mary, he finds out. And he is just... So perplexed by her beauty, he can't keep a sentence straight without dropping like subtle hints at her breasts and her hotness. And he keeps fumbling his words. And she's telling him about these new panties that have no lines. And she shows him, she like hikes her skirt up to show him the panties, which would never happen. And his son, Ross, who's played by Johnny Galecki from Big Bang Theory, mm-hmm. sees his dad, rolls his eyes, like, oh, this is dad being dad, which, again... Classic dad hitting right? on lingerie merchants. And <laughs> his son comes up, and he goes, she goes, you can't see the line, see? And she, like, rubs her thigh, and, and he looks over at, at Ross's son without realizing it's him. He goes, 
ah, see Russ, can't see the lines. And then like realizes it's his son. I cry laughing every time I watch that. So definitely show him that one. If I can sneak another one in real quick. He wants to buy the pool. He's fantasizing about getting a Christmas bonus because he wants to put a pool in for the family. He's looking out the window, picturing this pool. And again, he pictures the woman and she like throws her bathing suit at the window. And it hits the window. It actually physically hits the window, yeah. And he like overreacts. And then his little niece comes down the stairs and he's like startled. Uh, It's just those two scenes could be SNL skits. Yes, they could. They are SNL skits. They don't really fit with the movie at all. And they're just hilarious. So I would show those. For me, and I think this is hands down the best scene, funniest scene in the whole movie, and the one I would show to sell a movie, is just the whole dinner. The whole Christmas Eve dinner, I guess. <laughs> is that with the turkey? Yes. Yeah. From the beginning, all the way to, we're going to say grace. Who's grace? The grandma can't hear. Uh, we're going to say the blessing. She, she, so she says the Pledge of Allegiance or the Star-Spangled Banner. Right. <laughs> and everybody just lets it happen. Eddie stands up and salutes. <laughs> it's, like, it's just... It's, re- it's like you mentioned, like the point where the movie has just gone off the yes. rails. The turkey is a disaster. All the way until um, the uncle goes and lights his cigar and it catches the whole tree on fire is when I would, would cut that scene. And because the cat incinerates? Yeah, cat incinerates. It's, to me, that's the funniest part of the movie. Every second has like a new joke, a new weird thing that's happening. It's so funny. Did you notice when they cut the turkey? So they cut the turkey and it's hollow. Right. It's it's like it's like writhing. Yeah, it's like almost like an alien parody. Like it's like, it's, like <laughs> it's so gross. <laughs> um, chewing. Yeah. Oh, it's such like a Chevy Chase's physical comedy. Chewing the turkey so is hysterical. Great. Exactly. Uh, I do love both those those scenes. I probably lean more. You know, if we're taking a vote here, I probably lean more Bryce than Mario. So Fuck, Mario, you already got so it to the pin. Used to winning. Uh, but another scene I love, and this is just, I think again, like if I almost want to sell the, the time of year, the, you know, tis the season, so to speak, I would take the scene of Chevy Chase up in the attic. Um, because there's something that happens for me that gets me every time, which is first of all, the physical comedy portion. So he's tiptoeing around the attic. He's stuck up there because his mother-in-law closed the attic ladder on him so he's stuck up there on a cold day and he's trying to walk out to like basically scream for help and he walks along these boards that are not secured and looney tune style he steps on one and hits him in the forehead he steps backwards on another and hits him in the forehead and then he steps again on the previous one and hits him in the forehead again for whatever reason that third one always gets him <laughs> it's like i know it's, it's like wily coyote yeah <laughs> it's absolutely wily coyote it's stepping on a rake um but there's another moment of that scene that it's always like kind of the moment where I actually like, I rest back in my chair and kind of actually enjoy for a second is when he finds the old reel of himself from his childhood Christmas and he's kind of watching it and he has his hand on his chin but he's wearing like pink gloves and like a crazy hat and like, like a, a minx, you know, like a minx, whatever it's called, a shawl. Yeah. Yeah. But like there's a moment there where there, I get to kind of have the combination of him doing really funny, stupid stuff and actually having a moment of sincerity that I think I would sell the movie yeah. with that. Fun yeah. fact about that, the reels, the house in the, sh- in the clips were the ho- um, was the house they used to shoot Bewitched. Oh, that's crazy. Yeah, or is it Bewitched or Genie? I, lo- I love Genie. I, I don't know. Bewitched. I don't know. Yeah, you're, yeah. you're sharing this detail. Yeah, I, when I was looking for tidbits, that was one of them I found. Oh, that's beautiful. Uh, that's the best part about our podcast. We never check facts. Yeah. You mentioned the mother-in-law. 
I was a little upset. It's Doris Roberts, who, if you watch Everybody Loves Raymond, she's it's just awesome. She doesn't really do anything. Like she's a big name at the time too. A lot of the family doesn't do anything besides Eddie, Clark, and Eddie. Yeah, yeah. They, they really want Chevy to do a lot. Why yeah. cast Doris Roberts then? I thought from the first time I watched it, like, oh, she's gonna do something extravagant. Maybe she was just available. Yeah, yeah I guess so. She's definitely big in the Italian scene. Everybody loves she Ray. Reminds me of my my nanny, my late nanny. She kind of looked like her too, except she had brown hair, but. That's why we thought our family with the Baroons. <laughs> a lot Deborah! of a lot of her commentary. Deborah! Oh, wait, he's back. I love this movie. Thanks for having me, guys. I can't stay though. Oh, okay, see you, Ray. Why don't you come over to my party? We can have you here. Christopher, you're back. Yeah, he's always here. Chris, get out of here, man. I guess they're gonna take another cab together. Uh, ciao. <laughs> Those guys are great. Yeah, I mean, between the two of them, I, I forget the actor who plays his father-in-law. But between his mother-in-law and his father-in-law, a lot of their like immediate rebuttals to the comments he makes are really, really well delivered. Well delivered. Like there's a moment where E.G. Marshall. Okay, okay. There's a moment where his daughter Audrey says, like, to her grandparents, he worked really hard on this, talking about the lights. And her, her his father-in-law's response is, "Yeah, so does a washing machine." <laughs> like he is such a jerk, a savage. Um, okay, so. Now that we've shared our best scenes, what is the scene? And I've, I've kind of changed this this week a little bit. So not necessarily what scene breaks the movie, but what scene, if you would either remove or change, makes the most improvement to this movie? Bryce, why don't you start? So kind of folding this into the efficient fix category, um, I think you cut out a lot of what happens before Cousin Eddie and his family shows up. Cousin Eddie, the movie's only an hour and a half long. Cousin Eddie doesn't show up until 30 minutes into the movie. So 33% of the movie occurs without Cousin Eddie, who is the funniest character in the whole movie. Disagree. So I think you move that forward a little bit. You cut a little bit more of that out because there's the funny scene at the very beginning where there's the, the road rage scene. But then from that, and like once the original wave of the family shows up and they're just being mean to Clark, it's kind of like a different movie for like 20 minutes before Eddie shows up and then it kind of finds its way a little bit. I agree. That's something I hadn't thought about before that there is a sense where there's a little bit of call it turbulence there where his in-laws and his parents show up and there's kind of like this weird, he's now the enemy or like he's the person that's wrong with a scenario based off of their, you know, viewpoint that once Eddie finally gets introduced, it kind of brings it back to just a pure comedy almost. Right. That's interesting. I couldn't disagree with you more. I think yeah. I think Eddie getting there heightens the movie. For me, when the first time I watched it, I was really enjoying That's what it. I said. What do you mean you no, can't no, no, disagree? No, 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 no. And I'm going to say, for me, when I was first watching it the first time, I loved it up until Eddie got there. And then when Eddie got there, I'm like, oh, it's, it's going to get even better now. I didn't have any issues with it before. Uh, okay. like, I wouldn't cut it. Gotcha. Um, I could have had the movie without Eddie and still enjoyed it because I liked I I thought that Clark was the audience because he had his crazy in-laws, his parents who he's trying to please, his family he's trying to please, and he just he can't hold it all together. He got this douchebag boss. The audience is the neighbors to me. Like they're the ones that I vibe yeah, with the they're most. Above, yeah. They're above it. They're a little eh. um, <laughs> Elaine though. Big shouts Ooh, to Elaine yeah. there. Pre Seinfeld. Um, but for me. That whole beginning stuff, I love. It, like I said earlier, it goes off the rails at the end for me. So some of the stuff I would cut is I love the dinner scene. I think the the fire with the uncle lighting the cigar and the cat exploding, 
I don't need that. Like, I don't need to see... They go back to the sewer joke at the end of the movie again when he lights the match and the, the Santa decoration lights off in the sky. They kind of downplayed it because they already did that the first time when he lights a cigar. Mm-hmm. And then the whole squirrel in the tree. Again, it's funny, but the timing of it was just an amalgamation of all this ridiculous stuff happening to them. It's like, what else can happen next? It kind of... It was watered down for me, and it, when I watched it this time for the pot, I was like, okay, I get it. It's crazy stuff happening. So the, the squirrel in the tree is a little bit ridiculous because I've never seen anyone react to a squirrel like that. Like I don't know. I, <laughs> think, I think that's on purpose. Right, yeah, but yeah. it's like, of all of the animals to pick, like a squirrel, you'd be like, I get the squirrel out of the house. Like, no one is I don't know, man. scared of a squirrel. I, React when there's like like a cockroach in my apartment, I fucking flip. I need to move. But a cockroach and a squirrel, I feel like people are more scared of cockroaches than they are yeah, squirrels. Yeah, if I had a live squirrel, how do you trap a squirrel? They're like you just open the door and it'll find its way out eventually. I don't know, man. Let's bring one in here. Hey, oh, Ray, get... Ray, can you get a squirrel? I can't, Deborah. I thought he left. He was hiding. Oh, he's waiting on the Uber. Yeah, Uber. <laughs> Uber. I barely know her. It's me, Ray. <laughs> Um, Deborah, it's Uber. It's not a woman's name. <laughs> God, those Barones. Everybody loves them, right? Everybody loves Raymond, at least. But no, I think I don't know. It, there's a part of me that still, if I'm returning to the source material, it's a magazine that existed between the '80s or the '70s, and the late '90s. Right. Playboy. And so, oh no, National Lampoons. Um, and so there's a sense to which, like, okay, was this what was funny? at the time like a squirrel in a tree was this the most humorous thing that was possible at the time and this is not me getting on a soapbox of like what does modern comedy look like in the face of us being more sensitive or anything like that but you know i don't know there's a part it's of me so that, slapstick there's a yeah, exactly there's a pre there's a part of me that's like i don't care if it's chevy chase stepping on a board and it, and it hitting him in the face three times in a row that's that's christmas vacation for me right like mm-hmm. i don't know that i need to have like depth in comedy with National Lampoons. I agree with you. I think it, for what it is, it accomplishes the goal. You get that quick laugh. So if I'm going to remove a scene, I think the, and we just mentioned her, but Julia Louis-Dreyfus, um, Elaine from Seinfeld, uh, she plays the neighbor alongside this guy named Nicholas Guest, uh, but they're Margot and Todd Chester. <laughs> Such douchey names. Um, and they are like an impossible couple. Like, they come in at one point, like in like tinfoil sweatsuits from a jog, and they drink Evian. Like they are obviously a hyperbole of that type of person. Yeah, they're supposed to be super modern. But part of the time, I think that their their introduction into a scene for context isn't necessarily necessary. So you get a moment where essentially they are arriving home, and they're like, "Oh, I can't wait to kiss you." Every square inch of your body, Todd says this to Margo. Margo's like, okay, well, after you shower first. And this is about the time that Clark Griswold is finally going to get the lights to work. And so you get this scene that sets them up in their bedroom, and the lights get bright, and they can't see each other. Then they're trum- you know, stumbling over stuff and tripping over stuff. And I don't know, I think there's a handful of times where their introduction into a scene alongside the Griswolds, I don't need. I don't need their, I don't know, interaction with them. And so there's a few of those scenes that I think are superfluous to actually, I don't know, maybe it makes it a little bit more linear and a little less sketch if you remove some of their kind of like bookends to some of those moments. I want to disagree with you again. Okay. 
Um, I think you need that sketch feel for this movie to work. And I really enjoy watching how Clark's antics affect these semi-normal people. At least people who are trying to just enjoy their holiday in their own, you know, sanctity of their own home. Um, so I think the one that works the most efficiently is when he hangs off the gutter and the icicle flies through their window, destroys their stereo system, and they're like perplexed as to how that happens. Um, it's like that. It's like that riddle. The uh, the guy yeah. is found dead in his apartment. And there's only a puddle of water exactly, below. Exactly. Exactly. Um, but I don't know. Maybe I watch it through a different lens than you guys. But I see Clark as the hero. He's trying to please his family the whole time, and these people are almost just like wanting to ruin the sanctity of what a good family Christmas is. Like, they hate the guy for wanting to put up lights before they even puts them on. They and maybe are they in the other movies, Cole? No, they don't get introduced as characters in the other movie. All right, so there's no background before this that they dislike the Griswolds. So I like that they're kind of the antagonists of the movie that make you root for Clark because they're just nasty people for no reason when he's trying to enjoy his family. So I, I like the scenes that they're in. It just shows the oddities of his behavior. I, I am on their side for sure. You're an asshole. You hate Christmas. What do you? Clark destroys their home <laughs> by accident. So he still destroys their home. He destroys it twice. <laughs> yes, Three. two separate times. He yeah. destroys their home. His opening commentary with them is probably the least forgivable. Right. In terms That's of when like you know what's aged, Clark is an asshole. No. Okay. I think the opening commentary is something that my dad would do. I'm gonna interject a story real quick. Why don't you give a paint the introduction commentary? So. We'll talk about this in a little bit, but essentially Clark comes comes home with a tree that they got together as a family, and it's like 20 feet tall. And as he's unloading it from this car, the neighbors arrive home as well, and they're kind of like... Also, he didn't chop it down, so the root system is still attached to the tree. <laughs> Correct. Because he's Clark Griswold. He didn't bring a saw. Uh, but then the neighbors are kind of commenting to each other, like, oh my gosh, there's the Griswolds again. And so the guy says to Clark, he goes, you know... Where are you going to put that thing? Sarcastically. Yeah, sarcastically, like obviously. Jerk. No, that's normal oh, neighbor. no. He was being an ass. Oh, he was definitely being an ass. But, like, not compared to Chevy's response. But Chevy's response is perfect. <laughs> no, it's not. He's a douchebag. No, he's not. So, so Todd says to, to Clark, where are you going to put that thing? And Clark, in a, like, from Friday the 13th movie, hockey mask with a chainsaw, says, well, bend over and I'll show you. And Todd, the character, goes, okay, that, you have a lot of nerve talking to me that way. And then he gestures to the guy's wife. He goes, I wasn't talking to you. He's way so, over the line. Okay, so this is way like, over the line. This is like an automatic response from like northern culture. Like they're in Chicago, suburbs of Chicago. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So uh, the guy's a jerk. So I didn't think twice that, that I would say something like that. You would yeah. say something like that? So it reminds me of we had these, we had, you know, growing up in Buffalo, New York, we had good sized yards but they were close enough to the neighbors where you shared like the side of the house and uh, we had an easement behind our backyard and we used to play baseball back there with a tennis ball and one time the neighbors saw us going over in the easement not in their backyard like an open field to get the tennis ball so they put up this chicken fence and we loved it because we used the chicken fence as our home run yard fence and we still would go over the fence and get the ball well, they saw us going to the side of the house to get it once, so they put these prickly bushes up on the side of the house, which was also in our yard as well. So my dad goes over there next door, and kind of a similar thing where like the neighbors are kind of like- It's already not similar, by the way. Okay, here, here. But the neighbors are kind of like being jerks, like, and just my dad's reaction is like, 
move those bushes or I'm going to do some things to you. And he's like, well, my wife did. He goes, well, the same thing's going to happen to your wife. Like without skipping a beat because they're like prickly bushes and we're like seven-year-old kids and we're going to get hurt on these things. So I don't know. To me, that it was a proper reaction. It felt like a northern thing. It felt northern. It was like he's being funny and at the same time he's like jabbing at him. I thought it was douchey that like the guy brings a tree home. It's none of your business. The tree is 20 feet tall. It's none of their business. It's his house. He's trying to give his family a fun Christmas. It's their business when the tree goes into their house. That's a separate thing. <laughs> I can't believe you're Team Todd. I'm Team Todd. Team Todd and Margot. Wow, I don't know Margot. I'm so happy Margot moves to New York and meets Jerry. Exactly, and then later becomes the VP. And yeah, Veep. <laughs> Veep. Um, another moment for this movie is the opening moment of this movie. Uh, and so you get the whole family of the Griswolds, they're singing Christmas carols, and by they I mean literally just Chevy Chase and his wife, uh, who's played by... Beverly D'Angelo? Is it D'Angelo? Yep. Yeah, D'Angelo. She is in Entourage, you guys haven't seen that, and she plays Babs, and she's got this raspy voice. Oh, but she's obviously older at this point. In she's Harvard. older, yeah, yeah, but to see her in this role it was hilarious. Uh, so yeah, the two of them are singing Christmas carols, and they're driving along to go out to a place to obviously, or basically they're going to go cut down their own Christmas tree for Christmas. Uh, and so you get this scene at the very, very beginning where it goes from the kind of animated intro to the actual characters where Clark Griswold and his family are driving on a road in snowy conditions and there's this kind of group of two guys in a truck and they're tailgating them and then Clark lets them pass and then he speeds past. But he says to them, he's like, you know, I'm going to, he says to his wife, he goes, I'm going to burn some dust and make them eat my rubber. Um, and then, you know, his son, Rusty, tries to correct him. He's like, isn't it burn some rubber and then eat my dust? Uh, but I thought this would be a fun interaction real quick on just the three people who call the Junk Door Podcast their home, our hosts here tonight. That's us. Uh, how do you handle road rage? What is your typical road rage? And I would also start by just setting another point of context. Uh, which is just the other night we celebrated a surprise party for Mario Rico. Hello. Uh, and as we were arriving together, the three of us were riding together in Bryce's car. Uh, there's a local spot in Jacksonville, um, and we saw this pickup truck like literally peel <laughs> out from the parking lot of that place. And as we passed the place, the doors were open. And it was closed. And it was closed. Like every light was off, but the front doors of the place were open. So we were potentially <laughs> thinking we had just seen a post-robbery flea or a murder flea. And this pickup truck guy with huge tires was like driving up seconds behind the car in front of them and like switching lanes and driving really terribly. And Bryce did possibly a very reasonable thing. We'll see how reasonable we think it amongst yeah. ourselves. But Bryce went ahead and just let his car retreat to a position about, you know, you know, 200 yards very from that truck and said, I'm gonna just say, hey, I'm gonna let that guy do what he wants to do. I'm gonna be back here at a safe distance. <laughs> so maybe I haven't paid in Bryce too much into a corner, but Bryce, how do you handle road rage? No, I, I hadn't even thought of that story, but that was gonna be my answer is, I'm always like, when people get road rage, when people start like tailgating and like whatever they do when they get upset on the road, I'm like, you know like we could die. Like we're going 40 miles per hour in a two ton metal coat here. So my response is always what I did that night of, I'm gonna slow way down, I'm gonna get way away from you. If you wanna go really fast, go ahead, go around me. I have, I, my response to road rage is to remove myself from the person who is road raging. Yeah, I'm the same way. Um, especially as I've gotten older, I'm like, what's the point? Um, I do curse a lot and I say words and 
I don't ever do the finger. The finger to me seems passive aggressive. I'd, I'd rather like look them in the eye and say, fuck you while I'm looking them in the eye. Um, and then I do like to, I will say I do this. If they tailgate me, I like to switch lanes and then pass them and pass, look at them while I'm passing them only to see them get stuck behind another car. Only if it's like not busy out and we're not going more than 45. But I am pretty reasonable and would just limit, you know, distance myself because there's really no need. Well, I am surprised by that. I assumed that as I led this question that one of the three of us would be potentially the more aggressive person. Who were you thinking? I would, I would thought it was you. Well, mouth. But also no one thinks they're the aggressive person outside of the moment until they get cut off in traffic and are driving six inches behind the person in front of Why me. Why don't you cut right. me off on the way home and we'll see what happens. Yeah, that's what I'm worried about, actually. <laughs> and my <laughs> issue there, my fiesta. <laughs> my issue there is that, a, you know, a few years ago, my wife pointed out to me that passive-aggressive driving is aggressive driving. Yes, it is. Um, it and so, more irate. a older version of Cole, and God forbid you were somebody who was behind me on a single-lane road. <laughs> if you tailgated me and I was going 45 and the speed limit was 45 and you were wanting to go slightly faster, God forbid you were going right behind me because that meant we both got to go 25. <laughs> and I didn't Cole. care. I would put my cruise control on and slow it down. And I think Lindsay pretty quickly chimed in like, hey, by the way, you driving like this is being just as much of a douche yes. as the person who's tailgating you. I go, huh. They can have a weapon. Though. But it is funnier though. <laughs> um, they could use sex as a weapon. What, you, what is sex getting introduced into this? I mean, this? they can have a weapon in the car. <laughs> true, 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 true. Uh, but that, so, th again, this scene that we just painted, is the driver didn't go get a tree, and he's driving like a complete idiot. Uh, at one point, again, it's National Lampoon, so at one point he ends where he's under a log truck that is currently <laughs> driving, uh, but he's not freaking out yet, even though, you know, his wife is like, Clark, what are you doing? He's like, I got this baby, or honey, or whatever. Uh, and so he swerves, and then they go off-road, ramp through a snowbank, and land in the parking lot of the tree lot they want to go to. And the very first thing Chevy Chase says, he looks at his watch, he goes, huh, we actually made a pretty good time. <laughs> um, so that's my next segment is, what is your favorite small detail or line from this movie? Like, there's lots of times where they set up just a response from a character, and there's lots of times where there's just a very tiny thing that goes on in the scene that they don't really pause long enough to laugh at, but what is kind of your favorite yeah. thing from the movie? Um, I mentioned one of mine earlier when he says, no lines, Russ, without knowing his son's there, <laughs> but I feel like that's more in your face. The other one, I, and I picked up on it today, my buddy had pointed out to me when we first watched it, and it, it didn't have the effect because I didn't notice it as well, is when he's, uh, Clark is greasing up the sled, and... Uh, Eddie's telling him, you know, don't bring that thing near me. I had a metal plate in my head, and now it's plastic, and if I can't get dented in my head, and you're thinking he's going to say, like, brain damage or something like that, he goes, because then my hair, like, my hair messes up, and it just looks really odd. Yeah, but my hairline's all ruined. <laughs> yeah, and Chevy's like, oh, I wouldn't want that to happen. I know what you mean. Like, it's just, it's just cracked up, like, it's such a subtle thing. Um, for me, honorable mention to anytime Randy Quaid, cousin Eddie, rolls his eyes back in his head and makes that face, which just kills me. <laughs> he does that like four or five times throughout the movie. But <laughs> my real answer is at the very end of the movie when Ellen, who is, as we've said a couple times, Beverly D'Angelo, who is like underrated star of this movie because yes. she is an 
to me, the straight man of the movie. She's a great wife. While Clark, Clark is losing his damn mind, she is like holding it together and she's still really funny. And so it's at the point where everything's gone off the rails. Eddie has kidnapped Clark's boss. <laughs> the SWAT team has showed up. Everything else. The wife comes in and the boss goes. <laughs> the boss introduces his wife and she, he says like, Helen, this is Clark Griswold and his family. And Ellen, who is Beverly D'Angelo, who is frozen, <laughs> unfreezes for a split second and goes, welcome to our home. <laughs> and offers her hand, they shake hands. And then she goes back to her freeze where her hand is directly on Chevy Chase's junk. That was improvised. And it's so funny. Like the way she unfreezes her face <laughs> And then refreezes again is hysterical. And it's so small. I loved it. She is. I'm thinking throughout the whole movie, I want a wife like her. She's so supportive throughout his antics and how shitty the parents are being to him. And she's like calming him down the entire movie because she knows he's trying to do it for the best of the family. She's so good in this. She's, yeah, she's incredible as the, as Bryce just said, like the straight person in this movie. So again, so like some just pivotal moments of that. So they get the tree home. And she's like, I don't know, Sparky. Like, I think this tree is too big for our home. He's like, I don't know. It, it'll be cool. I've got a little bit more trimming to do. And he's like, I now commission this, the Griswold family tree. And he unclips the strings that are holding it back. And it punches through windows. And he's like engulfed in it. And you just hear him going, a lot of sap. A lot of sap. <laughs> and the next scene is the two of them in bed. And like the magazine he's reading is sticking to his hands. And he like pets her hair and it sticks to his hands. <laughs> like that kind of rollover just gets me so much of like the tiny details. One that I saw for the very first time, clearly this time in the tiny details, is there's a moment where it's like, I don't know what song is playing, it's like something to the effect of like that little kid choir going, Christmas time is here. Charlie Brown. Whatever that song is. But there's a moment where it's showing all the people going to bed, and it's once the family has arrived, and you see Clark's father-in-law sleeping in <laughs> Rusty's bed, the poster behind his bed is <laughs> above two, his bed. Above his bed is two turtles having sex. <laughs> oh wait, is like, it? It's two tortoises in mounted position. That's what he's staring up at. No, he's not. He's not looking at himself. It's like there's a different poster on the ceiling. There's oh, I'm sorry. That that's what you're referring to. No, no, no. Like the scene where basically his father-in-law is going to bed. It just shows him like looking up at something. But the poster behind him is these two turtles oh, in mounted position, that. which is like so ridiculous. Because I know that, he looks up at the naked woman. Or, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's on on Rusty's, like, whatever that is, the bottom of his bunk bed. Um, but then the other one that really gets me, and this has always got me the most, is the scene where Chevy Chase and what's Eddie's actual name? Dennis Quaid. No, Randy Dennis Quaid. Quaid. Dennis Quaid's brother. <laughs> Randy Quaid. Uh, they're shopping together at Walmart. When Randy Quaid is filling, when Cousin Eddie is filling the, the oh. shopping cart... It is only dog food. I never noticed that. Bigger and bigger bags of dog never food. Never noticed it until today. <laughs> he puts in a bag of dog food and they're walking and they're talking and he puts in two bags of dog food and then he puts in a bigger dog bag of dog food. It reminded me a lot of the scene from uh, Hot Rod when Andy Samberg is, quote, being an adult and they catch him in the store and his shopping cart is filled with only alcohol. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, and so there's like, it's just such like a dumb thing they're doing on purpose that I'm like, I love that they're doing this on purpose. It's funnier too because the whole scene is about how money is tough and Clark's gonna help him out for the holidays. So you'd think they'd only be getting the essentials. Not six bags <laughs> of dog food. Like $60 for dog food. <laughs> yeah, only essentials. And especially once he presses on them, he just pulls out <laughs> a list from his pocket. Here it is alphabetically. Well, I think the joke is that Eddie knows Clark is buying the groceries, so he's getting yeah. Clark to buy his dog food for like the next year. Yep. Exactly. 
Uh, so another category I'm just going to throw at y'all out of nowhere right now. Uh oh. Uh, and so part one is the Chevy Chevy Chase recast. Okay. Uh, and oh, wow. potentially you're not allowed to use Ed Helm since we just said that's a 2015 yeah, recast. I wouldn't yeah. use him anyways. Um, but who is your Chevy Chase recast? If we made it today, if we made it today, you're making National Lampoon's Vacation today. Who's your Chevy are, Chase recast? Are we doing a 2019 version or are they sending it in '89? What you are? We just said today. making it. No, today. I know what I'm saying, but are they doing a period piece? What? Like they're making it today. Oh, is it, it takes back place in time? Yeah. No, no, no. It is okay. the current. It, it's a new rendition question. of. Um, All right, Vegas vacation. Right. You, you go first, then, Bryce. Oh man, what comedic actor do you think has the chops to kind of be that role? Um, so I think you need someone that's like kind of a, a little bit older middle-aged actor, but who can play like this weird, like restrained yet also zany at the same time. Got mine. Okay. <laughs> um, so I think he's, he's not doesn't look similar physically, but I think Jim Gaffigan, who is a pretty well-known stand-up comedian, choice. but doesn't have like a lot of acting credits. But I think he could be really funny because he his whole stand-up bit is kind of him being like restrained but weird at the same time, which is what Clark is. Oh, I like that. It's a good one. Uh, mine are better. Okay. <laughs> um, I have two. I only casted Clark. Okay. okay. Jason Bateman. Okay, Jason Bateman is a good pick too. Really good at playing that straight laced guy. Who, definitely, he yeah. definitely I mean, it's fills the fatherly role. Yeah, yeah. John Michael or George Michael. Sorry. Yeah, and then Paul Rudd. Ooh, I see. I see Jason Bateman more than I yeah. see Paul Rudd. Yeah, my answer for this is Vince Vaughn. Um, I think a lot of the times in like things like The Wedding Crashers or Wedding Crashers, <laughs> The Wedding Crashers. Um, his his conversation with the father. Yes. Is oh, grandfather, is, yeah, yeah, is like the exact kind of like subtle details I need from a Chevy Chase recast. Where he's like, I like you. You're you're pretty you're pretty woke. Whatever he basically describes yeah. the guy as, he's like kisses him on the mouth, like those kind of moments. Are like the real thing. <laughs> Who would it be Eddie? It's a it's a different vibe with Vince Vaughn, but I I mean I think I like Vince Vaughn more than Chevy Chase, so I'm into that movie. It'd be tough to cast Eddie. Who yeah? Who would be Eddie? Who is our wacky? Gets nothing right, person. Um, man, I think you know Zach Galifianakis does a version of that. Oh wow! In a couple yeah. movies already. Yeah, I think that's a great cast. I think also you could get weird Jason Segel in that role. Um, the kind of yeah. character he plays. In. I can see that you're in a I role. I love you, man. Mm. What do you got, Mario? I like Jason Segel. Beautiful. I like that a lot. Yeah, I think you just put him and Paul Rudd back into it. <laughs> it's just I love, I love you, man. man. Big Christmas vacation. <laughs> Uh, I'll tell you who else I could see. This would be not cousin Eddie, but cousin Adina. Uh, is what's her name who's from Adina, Adina Menzel? No, no, no. Oh. Just a female cousin instead. Oh, okay. Uh, who's her? What's her name from Twenty Seven Dresses? The Catherine Heigl. No, I hate not Twenty Seven Dresses. I'm sorry. Um, Bridesmaids. Oh, oh Melissa McCarthy. McCarthy. Yes, Great I think one. she would be an incredible Eduardo. cousin. Yeah. She would play that goof role so well. Yeah, she's hilarious. She is hilarious. Uh, oh, Catherine, uh, not Catherine Heigl. We just said her. Oh, what's her name? She used to be on SNL. Kristen Wiig? Yes, Kristen Wiig. Oh, uh, yeah, I can see her doing it too. Uh, but another category. We should write this, movies. We should. Let's and we'll it. get paid for it. Or just recast old movies. <laughs> <laughs> but something in this same kind of vein that is another one I'm going to throw at y'all right off the cuff is Chevy Chase does a really good job of doing one liners alongside very heavy physical comedy. Mm hmm. So in the category of kind of one-liners versus physical comedy, 
what is it for you on a personal level that you think you connect with better? So again, like there's a moment where Chevy Chase talks about the tree and he's like, bend over, I'll show you. And there's another moment where he's stapling his shirt cuff yeah. to the lights and he falls off the ladder. Like there's like those moments side by side that are both funny. But what is it on you on a personal level that you identify with more? Or what do you feel like is aged better? Well, I think it's probably part of the reason why I don't think this movie is as funny as other people do is because I don't necessarily think Chevy Chase's one-liners and maybe it's the delivery or maybe it's just the writing are as funny as say like Bill Murray would be in a similar movie. Um, and so I usually like the one-liners a little bit more. I mean, I think physical comedy is funny to an extent, but when it goes to like, you know, Looney Tunes level slapstick, that's always like, I'm kind of rolling my eyes at that point. Um, so I think the one-liners are usually what gets me personally, and I don't think they're as effective in this movie as other comedies from the same time. Gosh, I couldn't disagree with you more. Um, I also do enjoy the one-liners much better. I don't, to answer your second question, which Bryce failed to answer, um, <laughs> what, do you think, what do you think age is better? I think the one-liners age better. Oh, you said I, that. It was kind of implicit oh, in I'm my sorry. answer. Well, I'm not good at implicit stuff. Um, yes, he's right. But I would say, unfortunately, I think... So you could agree with him more. No, no, I couldn't disagree with him more because I think <laughs> Chevy Chase's one-liners in this movie kill me. His under-the-breath reactions and responses to Eddie, who just either doesn't hear him or chooses to interpret them differently, kill me every time. Also, like, the one that comes to mind is when he's saying Merry Christmas to the coworkers. Merry Christmas. Up your ass. Up his ass. Up his ass. Happy Hanukkah. Like, stuff like that. It just absolutely kills me. Um, but I wanted to say, like, What's aged? What's aged the best? One-liners have, but unfortunately, I think slapstick humor is making a comeback in today's comedies because you can't be as forward or inappropriate with the one-liners. So they're getting away with comedy and they're doing more slapstick stuff, especially like in some TV shows you watch, like some of the newer sitcoms. There's more of these like antics that characters get into that you wouldn't really see in like the Office years, so to speak. Um, so. That's my take. I think one-liners in modern movies are way raunchier than they were in 80s movies. No, I think more in like... Like, right now, I can't think of any movies that have come out since Step Brothers. Bridesmaids. Touche. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I think for me, it's, it's somewhat of a both-and. Like, there is moments that I think one-liners in this movie kill it for me. So, his conversations with Cousin Eddie are oftentimes where I see that playing out the most. I, I love what you just mentioned with where he's talking to all the associates at his job where he's like, like you said, Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas, suck his ass, <laughs> kiss his ass, you know, mm -hmm. happy Hanukkah. But there's one time where Cousin Eddie's like, uh, can I get you some more eggnog or uh, refill or can I drive you out to nowhere and leave you for dead? <laughs> uh, that, was, that was a great line. Um, that I love. It was not fun. But again, like I said, there's the physical comedy things like him falling off a roof and him stepping on the board or I even compared it to Along Came Polly where you have um, what's our boy from Crocodile Tears? Uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman? Philip Seymour Hoffman where when he walks into that opening scene oh, and yeah. he slips on the dance floor it will always make me laugh. Yeah. So there's I don't know there's like a there's a combination of both of them where I think when you get to in excess of one or the other then it really begins to make the other ones feel less so so if it like if a movie is only physical comedy, it makes the other points of physical comedy in the movie feel lame. And if a movie is only one-liners, it begins to diminish the other one-liners. So yeah, there's, a, there's obviously this is not the only version of comedy. It's not only physical comedy or one-liners, but 
I think this movie for me does a good balance of the two. Yeah. Where I get both in such a way that I'm not like, I feel like I've had too much of one or the other. I feel like yeah. uh, um, physical comedy is a very easy laugh. They, uh, they're like, let's put this in for the audience. I think the one-liners takes a ton of talent, especially the subtle one-liners. One thing I, oh, show that comes to mind that does it really well is New Girl, which is a newer sitcom. Uh, the character of Schmidt will have his delivery of his obscure lines is just delivered brilliantly. And every time I hear some of those things that make me laugh, I'm like, what great writers they have that can craft a joke and then deliver it the way they do. Whereas physical comedy, like, okay, let's have this person get hit in the nuts at this time. Everyone's going to laugh. Right. So when we're writing our movie, when we're recasting our movie, let's keep those things in mind. Okay. <laughs> uh, but arguably, the climax of the movie, Beverly D'Angelo says to Chevy Chase, you know, hey, Sparky, let's call it quits here. We, we've, it, it has ceased to exist for Christmas for us. And he says back to her, he goes, how could it get any worse? Take a look around. We're in the threshold of hell. Uh, and so I wanted to open this up as well. As y'all have, and you don't have to if you don't have one, but do you have like a worst holiday debacle? Like this movie climaxes in the way that it just gets the worst version of Christmas vacation possible and then takes another step past that and gets even worse. I have a pretty bad one. Um, when I was like 10 or 11, um, my parents had a big, like all my family was taking a trip and they left me home alone and these <laughs> burglars came. Did and you I, put up traps? I did. And I, they should have been murdered several times, but they lived and then they did it again the next year. Um, and they made a movie about it. Did they do it a third time and you were a different character? They did. I, okay. I, no, but it wasn't really a debacle. A couple Christmases ago, um, we had some family over and, and my grandfather wasn't feeling too well. My uncle, the same thing. And so it was just like the four of like me, my mom and dad, my brother. Um, my brother was engaged, but his fiance wasn't with him for Christmas because she was home. So he was kind of down. And so it's Christmas night, Christmas day night. I'm like, let's watch a movie. And I suggested let's watch Home Alone because I hadn't seen it in quite a bit. And my dad comes in and he hates rewatching movies, even if it's Christmas movies. He's like, oh, I've seen this a million times. So instead, we like watched a movie that he wanted to watch that we hadn't seen. It was like some movie with Dylan O'Brien and Michael Keaton. He like trains him to be an assassin. It had come out in that time. And uh, it, the beginning of the movie is Dylan O'Brien's girlfriend gets killed by terrorists who come on a beach and gun down the all the tourists and dylan o'brien lives and then you're talking about american assassin yes and then he becomes an assassin and my brother and i are like what the fuck are we watching on christmas day and we only watched like 20 minutes of it because it was so dark and we all got tired and went to bed weird and christmas the, vibes yeah the next day we woke up like what the hell did we just do to christmas <laughs> Uh, that won't happen this year. What <laughs> right, so about you? One of the things I like about this movie, though, is that like it is like obviously once it goes off the rails, it's ridiculous. But it is in a sense very relatable. Of like we have this idea of what Christmas is supposed to be like, and Christmas is supposed to be fun because we get to spend it with our family, and then our family shows up, and we're like, I don't really like these people as much oh, <laughs> as I remembered. Um, and so I think that's like the funniest part about the movie is like we mentioned that. All of the extra characters besides Clark and Eddie don't really have a lot to do. But like the beauty of the movie is they don't need it. Like you instantly understand when the uncle who smokes shows up. Like he has no introduction, no backstory. He's just there. And you're like, I probably have an uncle like that guy. Who's <laughs> just like kind of weird. 
guy who's just gonna light the Christmas tree on fire for no reason. Um, and so I don't have like any specific stories as zany as Mario, but I just think a lot of times like <laughs> when we have Christmas or Thanksgiving or Easter or whatever celebrations where everybody gets together and everybody's together for like 20 minutes and then people start like trying to sneak off to separate themselves from the rest of the family. I always make fun of my dad because uh, <laughs> my dad smokes and his mom for real still doesn't know. And so like it'll be Christmas and me and him will like, I, I don't smoke, but him and I will like slide outside and I'm like, oh, you still having to hide your cigarettes from your mom, huh? And so that's always kind of funny to me um, that we just have to like slide outside so that he can steal a cigarette at you don't Christmas. Smoke, do you? No, I don't smoke. Well, that's so funny. I also didn't know that your dad smokes and I've been your friend for a long time. So he's, he's, <laughs> he's hiding it from everybody, baby. That's <laughs> airtight secret. Uh, Toy. No, like obviously this movie is a comedy and so it takes scenarios and hyperbolizes them for the sake of comedy, right? Like my family dynamics have never been ex as extreme as what they're painting the picture of. But I think one of the ones I do connect with are some of the moments where you get to get a peek into the actual family dynamics taking place. Uh, and so when Lewis and Bethany, which I think are like his aunt and uncle, but like very old couple arrive, she says lots of things that are like, you know, obviously very outdated in their context. She's like, oh my gosh, it's not every day that you move into a new home and I need to get them a housewarming gift. And like, she's asking about Clark as if like it's a job maybe he held like 30 years ago and stuff like that. And those are definitely not necessarily holiday debacles, but those are scenarios where I've like answered questions that I've like answered for like the past six years. <laughs> or like somebody will like, you know, I'll have elderly aunts and uncles who are like, oh, like, you know, have you been dating anybody? And I'm like, yeah, I, I've been married for, you know, a few months now, you know, auntie. Oh, well, is she nice? Yeah, you've met her a few times. Um, you were at my wedding. <laughs> you were there. Um, I do, she is. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, there's definitely some moments in this movie that I do connect with. While I've never, I've never had a travesty as far as like a tree lighting on fire and a cat being burned to death. But, you know, there are parts of it I do connect with. I remember a Christmas, we were young, and the Bills had um, Doug Flutie as their quarterback, and we were tossing a little like foam football in our living room, and my Uncle Dino was over, and he's tossing it, we're like, Uncle Dino, you're pretty good at football, and we're like, you should, uh, you should play for the Bills, I think you could be quarterback, and I, we couldn't tell later on in life if he was joking or not, he goes, yeah, you think of so? I don't know, maybe, I think so, he goes, yeah, you got a really good spiral. Yeah, I think I saw. I think I could. He's got the sticky down accent. My brother and his name will crack up. Looks such a great Christmas memory. But I think I saw. We want to talk now about arguably our favorite section of the Junk Drawer Podcast, and that is the tidbits. Things we discover along the way. Things Tidly we bits. Things we never fact-checked along the way. Uh, and each week it's presented by somebody or sponsored by somebody or something or some brand. And I felt like it was no more appropriate place than this week to be sponsored by just Cousin Eddie. <laughs> uh, and so tidbits this week are sponsored by Cousin Eddie. He shows up 33 minutes into the film, as Bryce said. And uh, from then on, the movie is improved because of it. But what are some of the things that y'all discovered this time watching through or this time based on your research? What are some of those factoids that you're so excited to share? So the first one um, has to do with our friend Chevy Chase. We've talked about is kind of the banner holder of the uh, vacation series. Uh, but Chevy Chase today, mostly known for being very difficult to work with. Yes. Um, so basically, after the 80s, he doesn't get a lot of work. He doesn't get a lot of work today. You see him in some small parts. And the rumor is, is 
he doesn't get a lot of work because people don't like to work with him. Uh, and so apparently that was true even in this movie. Uh, Cole mentioned the director of the movie, uh, not a very well-known person, but the original person they had lined up to direct this movie was Chris Columbus, who is a very big name. Uh, he's directed- Yeah, he sailed in the Mayflower. <laughs> different guy. He directed uh, both the Home Alone movies. He directed Miss Doubtfire. Uh, most well-known to me for directing the first two Harry Potter movies as well. No, not Harry Potter. Um, <laughs> And so he's he's a big name. He's had a lot of big movies. I think maybe that brings the movie a little bit better if Chevy Chase was able to work with him. But we see the example of Chevy Chase is apparently uh, too difficult to work with. Did and he so, ever actually start working on that movie? Um, so apparently it says, according to my very, very, very limited research, um, is that he was initially signed on to direct the film. But due to a personality clash between him and Chevy ah. Chase... Columbus left the film and was replaced. I wonder if that's why Chevy Chase left Community, because he was brilliant on that show. I mean, it's, you know, obviously no one ever says it out loud, but there's lots of rumors that that's why he gets kicked off of projects or doesn't get any offers these days, is because he's not a nice person to work with. These people are blessed with the ability to have the best job in the world, and they get a big head. <laughs> I think he's still doing okay. No, I'm saying, like, you think you would be humble enough to be grateful in your field oh, and, yeah. and work with other people. One would think. It's we funny. all struggle. We all struggle. Um, <laughs> it's funny just because he's often compared to Bill Murray because of their overlap in Caddyshack and them both being big comedy actors in the 80s. Bill Murray allegedly misses a lot of jobs for the opposite reason, is he doesn't have an agent and he just has a regular flip phone. And so like people call him to offer him jobs and leave him messages on his flip phone and he won't check the phone yeah. fast enough and the project will go to somebody else. He, he's also well known for being like the people's person. Oh, yeah. He was in Charleston at this bar when we were there for my brother's uh, bachelor party and just having a great time with everyone, I guess. And we tried to go to that bar, but we never made it there. But I'm like, man... That, I feel like if I was a famous person, I would be that guy. Yeah. Just being out and letting everyone know who I was. Just enjoying it. Yeah. Yeah, even um, on that subject is the random recent occurrence of Chevy Chase is in Hot Tub Time Machine. He's the repairman. Yeah. Are you kidding? <laughs> no, yeah. he's in it. He's, yeah, he's in it. He's the repair guy. That's so weird. Yeah. Yeah. Um, my other tidbit is uh, Aunt Bethany, who Cole mentioned a second ago, played by Mae Kestrel. Uh, so <clears throat> I had not seen her before but this movie's filled with lots of like that guys as as mario kind of mentioned at the top um obviously johnny galecki goes on to be in big bang theory juliette lewis is in a ton of movies in yeah. the 90s uh randy quaid's in a bunch of other stuff doris roberts is in everybody loves raymond let's, let's pause back on randy quaid and just his ability to sacrifice himself in independence day independence day randy oh. quaid thank you for protecting future her. junk drawer movie for sure and we'll his never brother goes you. on to pitch in the big leagues yeah see you on july 4th episode <laughs> And uh, Julia Louis-Dreyfus, obviously, huge career after this movie. Um, but some of the older actors had careers before it. Mae Kestrel didn't really recognize her. She was kind of a vaudeville actor. Um, but she is the voice of both Olive Oil from Popeye the Sailor Man oh, damn. and Betty Boop. So she Betty was a famous Boop. voice actor. Boop, boop, and I was like, that voice sounds kind of familiar when I was flipping up her thing. And, and that's who flipping she is. Her thing. Is Dennis Quaid the one who plays baseball? Yeah. Or am I thinking of Kevin Costner? Dennis Quaid is in every sport. The rookie, movie. right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, he's also the one with the vote. Did it, it, every sports movie Swing is vote. either includes Dennis Quaid or, or Kevin, Kevin Costner. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and if you're Cole Brown, you can't ever tell Dennis Quaid apart from Kevin Costner. There you go. <laughs> um, fun facts. Good tidbits there you showed us. Thanks. I shared some of mine throughout the pod, but the last one I wouldn't share is... Um, so this was actually the first movie where the audience re audiences 
had a feel that Russ was actually the younger brother. I guess in the other movies, and Cole can speak on this, Russ was supposedly an older brother figure. Did you get that? So in Vegas Vacation, he's definitely still the younger brother. Okay. I think. Like, there's this whole aspect of him being the younger brother that he can't quite gamble yet, but he gets a fake license and then is, like, incredibly good and lucky. Like, he wins basically the family back. And his sister at the time was already doing just stuff that she could do as an 18-year-old. Same actress? No. Okay, okay. I think they had to get older people at the yeah, time. Yeah, they, they recast both the son and the daughter. Okay. So, but I think maybe in some other ones, I haven't seen like European Vacation. I haven't seen Vegas or just quote National Lampoon's Vacation enough to be like, oh yeah, he's older, okay. he's younger in those. So in 2003, I believe Old Navy did a commercial and they had the Griswolds on and it was all of the cast except Johnny Galecki wasn't in it. And so they had all, like both Russes were there and Chevy's just like, who are you? I'm the other Russ. Who are you? I'm the other Russ. <laughs> and then there's like two, a little girl and a little boy. And then at the end, Chevy's just like, who are you? Oh, we're the cast for the, for the children in the next movie. And then, and then the commercial ends. So I guess it's well known that the kids are always different actors. Uh, that's funny. Yeah. So those are my bits and I've showed you them all. Well, thank you for showing us all. You're yeah. That's welcome. just a weird thing. On and my birthday and in the Christmas spirit, I wanted to show my bits. Well, I appreciate you showing it all. No at problem. The age of 23? 28. 23 plus five is what I Getting said. Getting old. 28. Um, well, one quick one is from That's the- IMDb trivia page um, is that there's a scene where Clark Griswold, Chevy Chase, is super frustrated the lights aren't working and so he goes into a fit and he's, you know, punching this plastic Santa Claus and its reindeers. <laughs> yes. He actually breaks his pinky finger punching Santa Claus. Oh, wow. When he does this. That's why for the other reindeer, he goes into a kicking frenzy instead <laughs> and they actually chose to keep the footage. You know, even though he broke his pinky. Uh, it's like another DiCaprio one. And Jangle, exactly. Breaks the skull and he breaks his yeah. Exactly. They were too addicted to how good that scene was, even though he actually was bleeding. E- equally well regarded yeah. actors. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> equally critically acclaimed movies and actors. Um, but another one for me, and this is my prequel to my best tidbit, probably of all time. Uh, Juliette Lewis plays Audrey, his daughter. Uh, and she's been in a bunch of stuff, a handful of stuff over the years. But the random pull for me is that she is in Starsky and Hutch, which yeah. I, I hope is going to be a future junk drawer. I wish it was. I, I've I'm never s- seen it. That's so funny. It's such a good movie. Uh, but possibly my best tidbit of all time. So, again, I've, I've, what I've loved about the, this kind of timeline of us getting to do this podcast is me doing this little scenario of choosing things like producers and filmographers and cinematographers and you know the writers and seeing what is their filmography people who have done something in one thing and done in others so the writer for this movie is this guy named john hughes john hughes is a big deal yeah exactly i didn't know that beforehand so john hughes wrote this movie right he also writes 16 candles in 84 he writes breakfast club in 85 he writes Ferris Bueller's Day Off in 86. Jeez. And he writes Home Alone in 90. Yeah. Whoa. John Hughes basically wrote every 80s movie that you like. <laughs> uh, and so I was so surprised by this Turn guy's Jedi? absolute insane yeah, track record. Uh, and so, yeah. you know, he was uh, he was a absolute Hoss. monster in the 80s. Hot streak. You guys, Hot streak. He's on fire. Speaking of actors, you know Bill Murray's brother is in this. 
Is that true? Yeah. Like, is that actually his brother? That's his brother. I'm like, oh, that guy reminds me of Bill Murray, and he sounds like Bill Murray. And when you watch on Amazon, you pause it, you can see the actors. The name Brian Doyle came up with a hyphen, and I was too lazy to click on it to see. But I've always known, and I just checked it, that is his brother. It's just, it just sounds just like him. I That's wonder crazy. if he got the connection through Chevy Chase. If who got the connection? The brother. Like, Chevy Chase has a working relationship with Bill Murray. I don't know. Well, he, he was, now I'm Googling it as well. He was also in a number of other roles before this. He was also on Saturday Night Live with both of them. So okay. he, he has his own credentials as well. Gotcha. So as this Christmas season comes to a slightly closer close, not quite a close. It is the third day of December. We uh, always ask ourselves with movies or shows, now that we've done Benny Han at Christmas, uh, does it belong in the junk drawer? Uh, Bryce, one more time for our viewing audience, listening audience, what is the junk drawer? So the junk drawer for me is the bin at Target or Walmart where they sell movies for $5 or even $3 if you're really lucky. Um, and so we caveat everything with the warning that eventually every movie ends up in the junk drawer. But is this particular movie, Christmas Vacation, a movie that you could see ending up there? Yeah, and I think if we're just going to go down the for me category... The junk drawer for me is a movie that I personally like a lot that perhaps critics don't care that much about or think very little of. Mm -hmm. And so a below average movie like a 49 for National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation would represent a junk, junk drawer movie in the fact that I actually enjoy it. Yeah, I think for me as well, what does a junk drawer mean? Movies that aren't necessarily well-received, but we do enjoy them, that could end up um, in those bargain bins in the supermarkets or the, the big box stores. Obviously, every movie's going to end up there just because of time, but it doesn't qualify it as being a junk drawer movie. It's more of a, is this a junk movie, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Uh, so, left to right, and our audience can't see that, but we can see that now. Bryce... What do you think about this? Is this a junk drawer movie? So my initial thought, probably before I rewatched it, was that I was going to say no. Um, but then on rewatching it and realizing this movie isn't as good as I remember, I want to change it to yes, I think. I think it is a junk drawer movie just because, like, at first I was going to be like, oh, no, this is like a timeless Christmas classic. But I was like, eh, I'm not sure that it is. So I'm going to say yes. Yeah, I'm going to agree with Bryce. I thought the time of it coming out would make it keep itself from not being in the junk drawer it's kind of like a nah it's not a cult it's a classic right um in the late 80s people adore it however it's not as good as i remember um so i definitely do feel like it is i also feel like it's a good example of a junk drawer movie because this movie in particular is being shown right now in theaters for five dollars and i think they do that every year so it's almost like existing in the junk well i think drawer. that's an argument against the junk drawer because they usually only do that with really well-liked movies. Oh, okay. Well. So, but it is, it is kind of like Cole said, it's well-liked, but it's not well-critically received. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm probably in, in somewhat of a similar category. It's a weirder one for me because I've owned this movie on DVD for as long as I can remember because it's been, again, it's been a kind of family tradition to put this DVD in the DVD player and watch this movie year after year after year. Uh, so it's hard for me to see it at the bin, but at the same time, it's also hard for me to see a movie that is, what, 97 minutes in runtime not be in a junk drawer. I feel like that's, <laughs> that's part of a junk drawer, like, pre-recipe is a movie with a short runtime. Yeah. Did you guys notice the uh, the fake snow? 
Yes. I caught it so much time this time. Like, there's almost times you can look off in the distance and there's houses or there's trees not covered in snow. And you're like, oh, they're in California. <laughs> yeah, and I definitely get that. And again, back to just the hyperbole. Like, when he turns on the lights and the whole neighborhood goes black so that his light, <laughs> his house can be turned back on. Junk that's car. definitely the, the <laughs> National Lampoon's aspect of it. I remember when I was researching part of this, like, they got a lot of flack because at one point they had released a picture ad that said, JFK would still be alive if he drove a Volkswagen was one of the ads, oh fake ads gosh. they released at the time. Wow. So that was them pressing the envelope. Horrible. Um, and so for us at the junk drawer, we always want to press the envelope. And great sometimes great we, song. We want to lick and seal it. And sometimes we want to send it away for Santa Claus to read. And we hope that you read alongside us. Shitter's full. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Junk Drawer Podcast. If there's a movie that you want to hear us talk about, then please reach out to us at askthejunkdrawer at gmail.com. See you next time.